Elizabeth Chapel, a lifelong entrepreneur who finally found my niche. After years of new ideas and jumping from business to business, I figured out how to turn a craft into a successful career. In 2016, I started a monthly subscription box for quilters. That little startup has grown into a thriving, multiple six-figure business that I am so proud of. As a published author, designer of fabrics and patterns being sold throughout the world, my favorite thing to do is to teach others how to grow a career of their dreams. Each week you'll hear from me or from other guests who are creative entrepreneurs, so you can learn exactly what to do and what not to do to grow a career that's more rewarding and successful than you ever thought possible. If you're ready to turn your craft into a career that you love, I am so excited you're here. Welcome to the Craft to Career podcast. Welcome to the Craft to Career podcast. This is Elizabeth Chapel, the host of the show, and I'm really excited to have the guest that we have on the podcast today. It is Zach Foster, and I'm going to let you hear how he introduces himself and what he does because my gosh, I've never heard someone have such a cool intro to who they are and what they do. Uh, before we jump in and I introduce you to Zach, I do want to read this review. I'm really excited about this review. This is from Jill Studio 311. She says, loving this podcast. This is what I love about her review. She says, I stumbled upon this podcast accidentally. You guys, that is what the reviews do. It helps other entrepreneurs find the podcast. So let me continue on. If you believe in accidents, that is, each and every podcast offers insights and inspiration, as well as motivation to pursue my dreams of creating a business built around all things quilty. And then she says, I joined the quilt pattern writing course today, and I'm so excited to get started. Thank you, Elizabeth. So thank you so much, Jill. What a fun coincidence, if you will, that you found this podcast. And honestly, it is because of the reviews and it, the algorithm loves seeing what is resonating. And if you want to help other entrepreneurs find this podcast and get help with their career and growing their business, take just a moment and leave a review for the Craft a Career podcast. It will really help someone else who's out there in a position just like you. So now let's introduce you to none other than Zach Foster. Zach Foster, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I am excited to have you here. Absolutely. My pleasure, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, okay. I want to dive in. As you know, the name of the podcast is Craft to Career. So I love diving into people who've taken their craft and turned it into a career. Now, can you tell me what exactly your crafty career is? What do you do? <laughs> Yeah, I am. If we meet at a party, I'll tell you that I am a full-time artist, textile artist, if people need a qualification, and a social organizer, a social gatherer, because I'm the host of a network called The Quilty Nook. And so that's... I love that. that yeah, I do too, turns <laughs> out. Um, it, sometimes I think I started that that space just to have just to find and connect to the people that are asking the same kinds of questions about life and making that I am. And so while it's the thing that pays the bread and butter and like provides a certain level of stability for me as a working artist, um, it also provides quite a bit of joy and inspiration for me personally, my own practice. So it's, um, I feel a little bit like an evil genius. Like 
how how did I bring this thing into the world that not only supports me financially, but also nourishes me creatively? And it's just it's um it's a beautiful it's a beautiful place to be. It really is. I think though, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like the the careers that really take off and last the test of time are the ones that people love in their hearts. It's not like, it's not coming from a place of, I need to earn a buck. And so I better do X, Y, Z. But it's like, for you, I want to connect with people who are asking the same kinds of questions I'm asking. And voila, that worked, you know? You know, I I ran across recently a definition, well, uh, etymology for the word enthusiasm. And I think that's connected to what you're saying, loving what you're doing, feeling passionate about it. That enthusiasm, when you take it back to the Greek roots, literally means in God or in the divine. And so I feel like when we can tap into that thing that we are enthusiastic about, we are tapping into the capital S source, right? Like we are tapping into something that is a deep well of energy and motivation for us. And I feel like at this point in my life, I feel like that uh, I am dwelling enthusiastically with the source of the universe, you know, no biggie. <laughs> I am digging this. Okay, so it, it sounds I'm like getting into the woo. <laughs> and so I, I I sense that you have too. Am I right there? Like oh, the source, yeah. capital S, all that, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. tapping into that. So where do you go to learn to like study that or learn about it? Mm. Well, I think part of it is inherent. You know, I come from a long line. I'm also a family historian. Okay, so I'm a full-time artist. I'm a social organizer. I'm a family historian. I'm a storyteller. I do all these things. And so as the person who keeps all the stories for my family, I can look back in my tree and see how many people were ministers, how many people were preachers and missionaries, how many people were mm, local government leaders, how many people were teachers, things like that. So I think part of it is just inherent to who I am as a person, to think on the level of beyond the individual and more on the community level. So I think that's a large part of it. I think the the ancestors support and have brought me to this place. I love that. And okay, so I just have to note from a business standpoint, I love Mm -hmm. that you have mentioned your membership (sighs) and your podcast. From a marketing standpoint, (sighs) I love it. Is that intentional for you? And I, this is how the sausage is made, this podcast, right? So we're like... (laughs) Is it intentional? What a beautiful question. Um, Yes. And and, and in a two-pronged way. I mean, reality is these are my major projects, right? So I want to make sure that people know what I'm excited about and what I'm dedicating my energy to. But also it goes back to the idea of enthusiasm, right? Like these projects inhabit... By working with these projects, I'm dwelling in that energy and that that excitement. And so it's just it's what's top of mind for me. You know, it's, it's, it's not something that I have to like uh, coerce or shoehorn into the beginning of every podcast interview or anything like that. It's just it's just what's <laughs> top of mind is what I'm excited about. And so um, it'll be naturally the first thing that uh, comes to mind when yet when someone asks a question, you know. And do you well, okay, so I've Wow. It's been since 2016 that I started my business and I've done different things and I can tell. So right now I'm ending my, my membership, which I love the way that you describe it more. What a social gatherer. And what do you, how do you say? It? I'm a social gatherer. That's one of my professional titles. <laughs> that I love. So I'm, I'm selling that someone else is taking over it. And I knew for me, 
for a while that it was not in my heart and that that was the right thing to do because marketing felt like marketing. And there are other things where I'm like, I love it and I'll scream it from the rooftops and like, and if someone doesn't like it, that's okay. I don't really care because I know how great it is and the people who it is for, they're going to love it, you know? So do you have a sense of that at all? Yeah. One of my personal litmus tests is um, if, if it ever feels unnatural for me to share about then that's an invitation to become a little more introspective about what that particular project may be. Um, it, yeah, it is, it is a privilege and a responsibility to, for me to remain in touch authentically with what I'm excited about, what I think really would be helpful for other people and not try to push something just to push something. Yeah. yeah. And then I have to ask too, so you're like, this is a membership for people who are asking the same questions. I'm sitting here. I'm like, you're so cool. I want to be your friend. Can I join just to hang out with you? Like, is that, do I have to be asking those questions or? Chances are, Elizabeth, if, if, if you're like picking up the cool vibe, it's because you are thinking some of those questions, right? I would think in some way or another, you're asking our, our questions overlap in the Venn diagram of life, right? Uh, yeah, I, I feel like with the Nook, one of the things that we do really, really well is I host two big monthly gatherings, right, for my members to come together. We call them sewing circles, and we just sit and sew and gab and chat. You know, you never know what we're going to talk about is open forum. Um, but people get so, I don't know. Someone just, I, I met with one of my members yesterday. She was in town, so we got together for coffee. And she says, Zach, I've met people on the Nook that, now, a year and a half later, I consider cl closer friends than even some of my real life friends. And so I think people are tapping into that, making these really sweet connections. And then they start, they're inspired to begin their own sewing circles and their own book clubs within the nook and things like that. And so it means as the host, I'm doing my communal obligation or responsibility. You know, like I said, I will be there twice a month for these big meetings. And then other people are doing similar things almost every day of the week. Right, just because they're filling the joy of the community, and that's cool. That's just like that gets to the point of what you're asking, and just um, creating a place that feels authentic, that feels real, and that people want to be. Right? Yeah, it's very. It is very cool. And then, okay, so you said you've been doing this for a little over a year. Mm -hmm, is that right? Mm -hmm. So what happened before that? What was Zach Foster doing for a career before this? Okay, well, let's go way back to high school. I was going to be a Southern Baptist missionary. That never panned out for various reasons, but it does speak to the heart of like my general trajectory in life. So when that didn't work out, I had studied Spanish. And so I said, okay, well, I'll become a teacher until I figure out what it is I really want to do. You know, um, that chapter lasted 18 years. And then when I figured out what it is I really wanted to do, i.e. full-time artist, i.e. bring people together on the nook, then I, then I hopped out. I saw the exit door and I walked through it, you know? And so now here I am a year and a half later, the nook is bigger, badder, bolder than ever. Like we're over a thousand members, 18 different countries. It's really a sweet place to be. And the only... The two things that really bind us all together are we want to explore materials and we want to explore ourselves, right? It's that kind of intertwined um, dual mission that we have. And so, okay, but you ask about what got me here. What I 
am so thankful for, and I, I was not aware of this at the time, but while I was in the classroom, I was learning so many things about how to connect people, how to make things relevant, how to make things interesting, how to open points of entry when people didn't know how to get started with something. Um, all of these skills I was building. And I was, it was kind of like a boot camp year after year because every fall you get a whole new slew of folks, a whole new community that is staring at you from the classroom, right? It's like, <laughs> like, teach us something, make something happen. And so I was learning all these skills and I had no idea in the middle of that chapter, how those skills would be marketable, right? Because it felt like education as a skill set was a very specific skill set. And I suppose it is, but in this particular incarnation of those skills, I mean, I can't imagine doing what I do now, not having been a teacher. Because when it comes to organizing a community, it's a lot about, okay, how do you manage expectations? How do you set expectations? How do you manage expectations? How do you keep things feeling fresh and relevant, engaging and interesting? How do you structure things so that people feel comfortable opening up and connecting? Because none of this happens on its own. None of this is magic. Well, I mean, okay, a little bit is magic, but a lot of it is intentional behind the scenes work that I'm doing and other people that are on my team or are helping me out are doing. And then the folks in the Nook take it from there. All of that though, I learned in the classroom. And so I'm very thankful for those 18 years, as long as they felt at the time. Now it's just a blink of an eye. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm just going to spew out some things because I want to remember. So you have a team. I'm super curious to hear about how many people are on your team. But teaching, I am intrigued about this because, okay, I taught as well, but not 18 years. First of all, what grade did you teach? So we're just going to keep going because I got other questions. <laughs> I I would have loved to have you as I'm picturing junior high, high school, Spanish teacher. Um, very cool. But okay. Also this intrigue that I have of teachers, not everyone loves teaching and, and that desire to like, how can I captivate them? They're not getting this. How can I help them understand it? How can I help them feel comfortable to open up? I mean, I feel like that, I don't know if it's a personality thing or what, but like, I'm very intrigued by that. And, and I, I sense that you are too. Um, so let's dive in. What grade did you teach? <laughs> high school, high school Spanish high school. at one of the nation's largest high schools is Brooklyn tech, almost called it Brooklyn tech university, Brooklyn tech high school. We had over 6,000 <laughs> students, nine floors, Broadway size auditorium and a swimming pool what? in the basement. It was, it was a bonkers setup. Nine through 12th grade. Mm. So how many kids per grade then? That's like, Oh, math again, math. I don't know. I know. I'm like, oh. 1500-ish. Okay. All right. All right. So I would have loved to have you as a teacher. Can you just share a little bit about, a little more about your teaching experience and what that was like for you? It was, yeah, it was, it was a tough job. I mean, it was a rewarding job. It was a beautiful job. It was a tough job, primarily because my natural disposition, while I am intensely interested in people, my social battery runs out real fast, right? I am an introvert by that particular definition, right? And so having to be in relationship with like 300 people every day for hour after hour, it, it just, it was tough. It wasn't, it didn't fit my natural constitution. Now, I will also say that we had a really good time in my classroom for the most part, right? I led a student-centered classroom. I got them connected to each other. We did a lot of group work and that kind of thing. However, as good as it was, 
And as much as I was using my talents, this I'm saying this because this was what was so hard for me to, to, this is what kept me in teaching for so long. I was very talented as a teacher. I was using a lot of my talents in that position, but somehow I knew it still wasn't adding up to what I wanted it to add up to. But how do you leave a job that you're good at? How do you leave a job that utilizes so many of your talents? And that was the question I sat with for several years until I saw the exit door and realized, okay, there are ways to use these talents in other ways that feel more in line with the nerve center of my being, as Howard Thurman would say. Um, so yeah, so as, as uh, when people say, I, I would love to have been in your classroom, I received a compliment. Thank you very much. But I also think I have a lot of compassion for myself because I wasn't, I wasn't the best version of myself then, you know? And so the person that you're talking to now is not the same person that was standing in front of the classroom, right? I, this, this new chapter in life has flipped switches inside of me, has turned on lights inside of me, has done so many different things that has allowed me to, I don't know, shall we say self-actualize? <laughs> like, just like really step yeah. in, you know? Okay, I'm super curious about this because, okay, I feel the same way with my business. It has really, and I will say to anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur, one, it's amazing to watch out because it opens up all of the things, like it brings to the surface all of the issues. And and I know, I feel confident saying that because for me, but but I coach people and I can, as I'm talking with them, it's 90% percent like a head game you know it's like I have a life coach and it's really crucial for me to be able to have a therapist and a life coach and like work through the stuff so my big question is and maybe this is more reflective of me but do people get upset with you for um like the audacity of how dare you charge for this membership or um, and this brings to, to the table a lot. I'm very curious with genders, like, cause I know females get a lot. I'm very curious if the males in the industry get that. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Mm, yes. So I am certain that being a male presenting person has been advantageous to me in this world in many ways. I will also say though, that I, to my knowledge, have never cashed in on it. Right. Like there I, I see, for example, in social media, just to take a small slice of things, um, there are some quilters who will use hashtags like men who quilt or male quilters, et cetera, et cetera. And that has never sat right with me. Right. Like I don't believe that this thing that beyond my control that does give me a competitive edge based on how this society has been built in its current iteration. I have that but it wouldn't be right for me to like intentionally cash in on it. Now, does right. it work yep. in my favor? Yeah, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. Right. Well, and there are things that that work in our favor in life. And it's like, do I beat myself up about it and feel bad about it? Or just like, it is what it is, you know? And like, not try and take advantage of it, but like, not, okay, that is the thing. How could I maybe help others who don't have that advantage? Or, you know. Exactly. So, but have you felt any kind of kickback about charging for a membership? One of my core values is accessibility. And so my membership currently is $8 a month, mm -hmm. which is cheaper than Netflix, right? And so mm -hmm. 
I want the Nook to be available to almost anybody who feels like they could benefit from creative community like that. I have seen how good it's been for me. I have seen how good it's been for people who are forming relationships in the community. So I am committed to keeping that price point low. So at eight bucks a month, <laughs> who's going to come at me? You know what I mean? If anybody, so no one has, no, no one has, no one has said you should offer like the pay what you want type of a thing or anything. You've not gotten any of that. Yeah. So one of my core values is accessibility. And so at eight bucks a month, I feel like that is accessible for a lot of people. That said, in conversations like the one you and I are having right now, I will often say, if eight bucks is still like, just this is not the time of life for you to be paying eight bucks for things like this. This too much. Let me know. I'll get you in the back door. Like it's, it's no sweat to me. That's, that's kind of the beauty of a digital offering or a virtual offering is I can be as generous as I want to be. It allows the gift to tap into that generosity because it is of no, I lose nothing by letting somebody in. All right. Nothing lost. There's nothing lost, only gained. And it's very interesting as we're talking about this, I can sense in me, like the life coach in me is like, let's look at this, Elizabeth. Let's be intrigued and wonder. But um, it's bringing up, I'm feeling defensive, you know, because I have had that kickback and I'm feeling jealous. I'm like, but you've never, you can maybe even hear it in my voice, like, you've never? What? (laughs) So, um, yeah, very, very interesting. And then I'm curious, would you ever well, things change. So we're not going to be like, Zach, on this podcast, once I've recorded you saying this, so you, you know, but at this point, could you ever see yourself offering a high ticket item? If, have you thought about it, but it's just ethically, like, how does that sit with you? Yeah. You know, I think a lot about what a good friend of mine, Heidi Parks, who'd be fantastic (laughs) for your show. I would hope you consider inviting her at some point. Um, Heidi says, when we think about accessibility, it doesn't mean that everything you offer has to be available to everybody. Heidi conceives of it more like, when I think of accessibility, I want to have a menu of options so that there is something for almost everybody, yeah. right? Yeah. So on your podcast, what do you talk about? Like, what's the premise? I know it's the seams, like what's behind, but what what are the things you chat about? Well, we, we talk about what I call the, the inner work of textiles, right? Like how... Working with cloth puts us into uh, puts us into communication with our deepest selves, right? And so, I'm coming at it from all different angles. I kind of view my my essential question there, right? Like how working with textiles makes us more human, almost like a gym, right? And I'm kind of like setting this gym from all these different facets. So I'm inviting these guests from week to week, and we just explore one facet of that gym at a time. And I think at some point, I mean, may, I'm also a writer, you know. And so I think, oh, at some point, a book will probably come out of this. Uh, I would love to sit down and do some serious reflection on, okay, so if that was your question, Zach, what have you learned in the last two years? <laughs> you know, I haven't really sat down to really try to synthesize everything, but I think it would be fascinating to... Because I've, I've had some... Com- I don't know if you feel this way, Elizabeth, but I, when I've talked to somebody on my show, it, is a, it establishes a different kind of bond and a different kind of connection between me and them. And I recently learned that somebody that was on my first season of my show has a pretty significant cancer diagnosis and it's not looking that hopeful. And I got seriously 
Like my heart got really heavy for them, even though we've only talked maybe twice in my life. You know what I mean? But it is a stronger bond. And I think that bond comes through. I think that's evident when people are listening. Yeah. 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 Well, and then now I'm just feeling like a little bit of a nerd, but I'm like, I'm a writer too, Zach. (laughs) I'm a teacher too. We're meant to be friends. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we find each other. We naturally gravitate. No doubt about it. It's true. Okay. So I'll admit, and I'm like, do I bring this up? Cause maybe it'll be like, great. Thanks Elizabeth. But, um, I did find out about you during the whole Met Gala thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you've grown since then. That's not how people are finding you in other ways now. Can't, how did that happen? Like, I don't even know anything about it except that I saw it and I was like, who is this guy? Dang, he's got some cool stuff. And now I'm learning even more about you, but yes, tell us about that. It provided the most fabulous exit strategy for teaching. I was already going to leave. It just so happened that my what turned out to be my last week of teaching was also the week of the Met Gala. And so absolutely unintentional. It was already slated. It was already in the books. But all of my students and all of my coworkers are like, whoa, we saw ASAP Rocky, boyfriend of Rihanna, wearing that crazy quilt at the Met Gala. Like, you're, that's so awesome. And like, now you're leaving teaching. You're going to go like be quilter to the stars and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, not exactly my game plan, but it was <laughs> like where I think without that, people have been like, you're going to do what? Yeah. It gave me a chance to um, just look like a rock star going out of teaching and so for that I'm oh you grateful. are you not look like you are let's just own it <laughs> okay and then now i'm being okay so i'm in texas i grew up in minnesota gala gala tomato tomato which one do you say <laughs> i use both i use both met gala. okay i think i said met gala more than anything i will say though okay. that it's just so funny how this world that we live in works because I got this random message on Instagram from some private unknown account that sent me this dark and blurry picture of this quilt proposal, this idea. And they're like, can you make this? No, hi, no, this is who I am. None of this. So I wrote back to this mystery person and said, you know what? Very nicely, of course, you know, this isn't my style of project, but I can recommend somebody who would be really great at doing this for you. And they said, oh, that would be great because it's for the Met. At which point, I totally give it. And I'm like, I will do whatever you need me to do. I sold my soul to the Met Gala. <laughs> and so, I am like, I'm so envious. I can totally see you like, whoa, whoa, nope, I got this. Yeah, we're good. I can do anything. <laughs> I can do anything. And I'm thankful. And we can talk about commissions in a moment if you would like. But I am thankful to be at a point in my career where... Um, I'm not accepting commissions, right? So I get to focus on my community and I get to focus on my personal work. But that was a commission that I wasn't going to say no to. And there've been a few of those mm-hmm. in my life, but that's definitely the biggest one. you know. And it feels good to have that kind of autonomy over my, my creative project calendar. Yeah. So how did they find you? Did they ever share Instagram, that? Instagram. Just Hashtags? This, like- I, probably. Probably. I wish I could tell you specifically. They never told me exactly. But um, I would say that in the early pandemic, so anybody who's thinking about how they want to interact with, how they want to show up on social media, I would say at the beginning of the pandemic, I was at a place where I was really ready to leave teaching. I didn't know how it was going to happen. And here we were all locked down. And so like, I wanted to move south to be closer to family. And I couldn't even do that. You know, like it was just all these like walls went up all of a sudden. But one, one place I realized I could devote my energy that was 
future and forward thinking was to invest in a social media presence, right? Up until that point, I'd had a complicated relationship with social media because I didn't want to be in front of the camera. I just wanted my work to speak for itself, quote unquote. And it was getting a certain amount of traction, but not a lot of traction. And it got to a point where I'm like, okay, if I'm really trying to like bring people together, well, then I need to express, I need to model a certain amount of vulnerability in my own practice. So I stepped from behind the camera and into the front of the camera. And the first several times were really awkward. I would just encourage anybody who wants to see what transformation looks like just to scroll real <laughs> deep into my feed and watch those first videos. And it, it is a muscle that any of us can exercise and get better at over time. And it doesn't take long. It's a quick learning curve for most of us. The biggest hurdle, of course, is the mind game. The biggest hurdle is learning how to... Okay, here's a pro tip. Learning how to not look at yourself in the screen, but look at the camera. Because then the person watching feels like you're looking at them as opposed to watching yourself talk, which is really awkward. And so by making that decision to put myself in front of the camera, my focus and my energy naturally shifted from here's the product that I'm making, meaning the end result, not necessarily what I'm trying to sell. It shifted from the product to the process and the person, which I think process and person, generally speaking, are way more interesting than product, right? We want to see how a thing is made. We want to know what doubts the person has. We want to know what dreams the person has. And by putting myself in front of the camera, it gave me a chance to start telling stories. I never considered myself a storyteller. And then one day someone, I was at the folk school doing a residency down in the mountains, North Carolina. And he's like, Zach, I love the way you use Instagram stories to actually tell stories. And I was like, oh yeah, I do that, don't I? <laughs> so the idea So of what like, stories do you tell? Now I'm curious. I'm like, oh, I should need to do more of that. Well, but that's what's fascinating is they're bite-sized stories. They're 60-second, 90-second stories, and they still need that narrative arc. You got to have that hook. You got to have the arc. You got to have the conclusion. Mm -hmm. You got to have the takeaway. And so I, at this point, I don't tend to plan out my stories too much. Like I know the overall arch of the story, arc mm -hmm. of the story. Um, I never know which one to say either. Okay. <laughs> either one. Y'all got me. Yeah. But I'm telling stories of um, questions that I have, thoughts that I have as I'm sewing, you know, because that's one of the beautiful things about as much handwork as I do is it's often quiet and it's often kind of a slow, a slightly slower pace than the rest of the day. And so I find myself just really sitting with my questions and Textiles themselves are just so rich in metaphors. So I'll be sitting there sewing and thinking about how this one particular facet of my process is helping me understand some other part of my day, some other challenge that I have or some other question that I have. And I'm starting to make these connections. And then my natural reaction as someone who is, comes from a long line of teachers and preachers is, okay, now that I have this understanding, how do I turn key it and share that with other people so that we can really amplify? Like I, I think a lot about a bell, like a big church bell, you know, like it starts maybe in one place, but then it echoes out. So how can I amplify that? And um, social media is a great way for better, for worse to amplify messages. And I have ever since I started putting myself in front of the camera and treating social media more like, and you hear this, Elizabeth, I, and I, I know what I'm about to say, and I can hear myself kind of groaning on the inside. But I really do mean that my presence on social media, I see it as a service to the people I'm trying to connect to. Like, how can I help them 
connect something in their own life and their own practice by sharing some part thread of my own practice. Right. Because if, if it's anything that I've learned, like I referenced earlier on with Seamside, it's that I think one of the things that makes working with textile specifically so helpful for understanding community is that the, the we are all parts of this big, beautiful machine, right? And so the nook then for me is really that. It's this idea of creating space for other people to share their stories as well, because it's not all about me and my lived experience and my perspective. Yeah, it's cool, <laughs> in my personal opinion, um, but it's definitely not the end all be all. And I feel like there, when we come together, then everyone can start telling their stories. And that's what becomes truly informative and inspiring for folks. Okay, well, and I'm as I'm listening to you, I'm like, Zach loves his job every day. It's not hard at all. Um, he's in a really good headspace. Is there a, anything you struggle with? Like, I, I what? Not to be like a Debbie Downer, but like just to paint an accurate picture of like both sides. You know, I think a lot about what my good friend and artist Luke Haynes talks about, which is the beauty of the self-led life, and if this life that we conceive of as entrepreneurs is self-led, then it can be anything we want it to be. And so I'm constantly going back to the drawing board to, to really examine, okay, so what am what have I done this month? Where I'm at in this season of life? And is it the kind of life that I want? If I could choose of all possible lives, would I choose this one? And if not, what needs tweaking? And so I've gotten to a place now, It was it was really hard in the beginning. I feel like I... When I first left teaching, was first starting the Nook, I spent a lot of hours, at the, like 10, 12, 14 hours a day at the computer, just setting things up and figuring out all the platforms I'm going to use to make the magic happen and all of this, figuring out my own workflow, figuring out how I wanted to spend my time now that I could choose anything. Coming from schools, I was used to a bell ringing every 42 minutes and telling me it's time to go on to the next thing. No bells are ringing anymore in my apartment. So it's just like, Zach, when is the thing done? And now I've, I've really hit kind of a, a lovely stride, which is, I say I have a 10-hour work week, but if I were really to add up the hours, it'd probably be more like 15. Okay, but still, that's pretty amazing, right? And what that looks like, when I say work, I mean at a computer, because also the art is work, but that just feels totally different. Um, but work week wise, I, I've set up this system of containers that works really well for me. There's a beautiful coffee shop down the street from my apartment. Um, this really, they look after people in the neighborhood. So there's just like good vibes there. And I just really like being there. And so for two hours every day or three, I'll go and get a cup of coffee and rent a table for $5 essentially, you know, and sit there with my computer. And I will just crank out. I will just crunch all the daily computer tasks into that container. And then when the coffee's been drunk, it's time for me to go home. And then I've, I may continue to do some computer work when I get home, but it feels different. It feels like I'm opting in as opposed to, oh, ball and chain to the laptop, mm -hmm. right? So do you have a hard time concentrating? And this is like, I know when I'm here, I can concentrate. Or do you not struggle with that? It's not so much concentration for me as uh, one, I am a perfectionist and I can infinitely tweak something 
long beyond its need to be tweaked. It, it can get good enough, but I want it to be even better. And so it's a, it's a blessing and a curse, honestly. And so by, <laughs> by setting myself that, that time limit at the coffee shop, it says, okay, we just got a certain task just need to get done and done is good. And we're going to move on, right? So it helps me kind of just stay, it, it gives me a certain clip to work to. Also, I remember hearing years ago, a friend of mine, who is obviously an extrovert, and you'll, you'll understand why when you hear what she said, she says that she enjoys going to work because she enjoys being around the hum of other people. And I never heard work like co-working in a collaborative space with a bunch of noisy people. I've never heard that described in a positive poetic light, like the hum of other people. <laughs> right. I remember thinking, oh, so that's what it looks like inside your head. Because me, yeah. I'm like, I was still teaching at the time and I was sharing a noisy office and I just was like, just shut up, everybody. Shut yes. Up. <laughs> but now I get it. Like now I'm, I'm more in line with that sensibility, which is when I'm at the coffee shop, I am surrounded by the hum of other people. And mm-hmm. It's people doing their own hustle. It's it's friends getting together. It's family members getting together. It's neighbors walking by. And I like that. It, it feeds the practice. It feeds the practice. Well, I could be wrong, but sometimes it can be a little isolating to be an entrepreneur. But with that, it's like, oh, no, I'm still a part of the community. You're still, I mean, there, I am an introvert, meaning I, when I'm, I get energy from being alone, which sounds so depressing, but I know I'm with you. I'm with you. (laughs) But there are times where I'm like, I feel odd. Oh, I probably need to see another human being, you know? (laughs) And so like just to be around people and feel like you're part of the human story, you know, is, is a beautiful thing. It's important. And it, it does feel like, um, a daily anchor point to go to the coffee shop, right? Like it's just a way to pull into that dock, pull into that harbor, look around, check in what's going on, and then retreat to my own harbor and <laughs> yeah. go back to my apartment for the rest of the day. It's a good balance. Yes, it's working for yes. me. Okay, I love that. Um, okay, I'm going to have to think here because I wanted to ask one more thing and then wrap it up. Um, well, oh, I know. Okay. So do you write any quilt patterns per se or is it is it more like you would teach a class on how to do this type of a thing or do you just create a finished product and you can buy the finished product yeah i rarely know what one of my pieces is going to look like when i start it's a process of taking a germinating idea just this little little tiny baby of an idea where i don't even see the outlines of it and then working with materials that somehow feel like they support that idea and then just seeing what happens as they come together so because those two are so closely interlinked, the idea and the materials, it'd be really hard for me to come out with a pattern, right? That could be replicable. Now, my friend Heidi does a really good job of that. She has these things called quilt alongs. And her work is also highly expressive in storytelling. But she breaks it down into, okay, this this week or this day or this month, you're going to make one block that... Um, shows a loving relationship that you have with somebody. And the next block is going to be related to that. And the next block is related to that. So people can still choose to do whatever they want inside the prompt, but it's open-ended, right? I think it's a beautiful model. I can't bring myself, I can't wrap my brain around that. Um, I think it's an, I, I think honestly that what I'm here for in this season of life is to one, bring people together two make the work that I'm feeling really led to make. You know, I mentioned earlier in the show that um, I'm the family historian, I'm the keeper of stories. And so a large part of my work 
now when I'm not at the computer, is working on a collection of work called Southern White Amnesia, which is exploring the stories that Southern white families tell about their own history and the ones they don't tell. Because guess what? In my family, there's a lot we don't tell. And as the family historian, I started discovering these things that only I knew about, right? Specifically, that many of my ancestors were slaveholders, specifically that many of my ancestors were involved in Indian genocide, right? And I was learning these stories. And I'm like, I can't be the, like, these stories can't stop with me. I can't hold on to these stories. And so then Southern White Amnesia was born. And so I'm working on all of these pieces, trying to tell those hyper-personal stories that are specific to my family, but in a way that connects back to the collective experience, right? Like this story about my sixth great-grandfather is important because we look around the world and we see an unjust system. And those two are connected. So let me tell you this story that I have every right to tell because he's my granddaddy. But then let's use that as a reflection point for larger current social issues. And so that's really where I feel like my call is right now. So I'm, I'm gathering the people to come explore material and explore their, their own stories. And then in my off hours, I'm exploring my own stories and I'm producing work. And those are, that's really the two pillars of my practice at this time of life. That's beautiful. I mean, as you're speaking, I'm thinking of my mom who just recently passed away, but there's a lot there that she hid about her past that wasn't great. And I'm so sad that she didn't share because she was ashamed. And I'm like, no, no, just because you tell something doesn't or don't tell it just because you don't tell it doesn't make it not happen. Uh, But when you do talk about it, we can avoid it. We can learn from it. I mean, when you pretend like history didn't happen, we're not glorifying. We're trying to make sure this doesn't happen again, you know, and how do we learn from this? And it doesn't make her a bad person. It doesn't make us a bad person because someone in our history or heaven knows will make mistakes, you know, and we got to learn from those and yeah, make it a better. I think it's so beautiful that you're inviting people to look at their own stories and create art with that. There's actually a little, um, excerpt from a story that I had my dad send me the other day about family history. I'll DM it to you. I'll put it in the show notes, but it talks about, um, the beauty of looking past at our ancestors and looking forward and how we're all just a part of this bigger human story and connection. I just think that's really beautiful. So, okay. Well, have you ever made, have you ever followed a quilt pattern? That sounds like it would be torture to you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So it was really funny. Elizabeth is early on in my career. I was still a little baby quilter. I guess I was like well-known enough because a magazine or whatever approached me. I was like, would you make us a pattern? I'm like, oh, how do I do that? A magazine or whatever <laughs> yeah. out to you. Yeah, Come yeah, on yeah. Here. <laughs> I forget okay. which one. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna let him remain nameless and you'll see why in just a second. <laughs> so I created this half improv, half pattern quilt idea, sent it in to him. And they totally they drafted it, they they drew it up, they wrote out the instructions, all this, and they slapped a name on the pattern, which to this day makes me chuckle because it's straight and narrow is the name of that pattern. <laughs> I am neither straight nor narrow. So I'm like <laughs> It's like, you don't even know me, magazine. <laughs> I will be Googling where this pattern lives out of curiosity. Yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, you can find it. You can find it. They shot it beautifully. The, the photography is wonderful. Oh, that's hilarious. So, okay, to wrap things up, 
Can you just share one? I mean, you've shared many, but if you were to just off the top of your head right now, someone who's wanting to start a creative career, what's something from your heart that you would want to tell them? I'm going to give you an idea that is contradictory in and of itself, but it's, it's the one that has been really helpful for me. That is find what you're enthusiastic about because that's the source and then do what you need to do to get as much of that source, that much of that enthusiasm into your business and professional practice as possible. Also keep in mind that just because you're enthusiastic about something doesn't mean it's going to come naturally. So you're going to have to do some awkward stuff from time to time. Give yourself that grace period to decide, is this awkward because I'm learning how to do this thing? Or is it awkward because it's just not a good fit for me and who I am? If, if it's the latter, then you need to drop it. But if you're learning from it, embrace that part of the process and see yourself through. Beautifully said. I really do love that. And then for our listeners, can you share again where they can find you? Yeah, well, you can website ZachFoster.com. Just remember Zach is Z-A-K. Don't know why. Ask my mama. She could tell you. Um, also on Instagram, ZachFoster.Quilts. And if you want to learn more about the Nook, you can learn more about the Quilty Nook on my website or Instagram, all the places. Love it. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for being a guest here on the podcast. It was such a pleasure. We're just going to have to hang out in real life. I say that with whatever. You're awesome. So <laughs> you can't avoid it. I think there's some, some magic that happens with these podcast conversations like we were talking about earlier. That because they're such focused conversations, we really do connect mm -hmm. in a way that's different than, oh, let's meet up for a cup of coffee, which is beautiful in a whole other kind mm -hmm. of way. Right? But this has been... Very nice conversation. Thank you, Elizabeth. Yes, thanks so much. Zach, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. I will admit I was somewhat nervous to have you on the podcast. You're just like so cool and uh, the Met Gala thing. I mean, you're like a celebrity within the quilting world, at least in my eyes. And so I really appreciate you being here on the podcast and for putting up with my questions, I do tend to like ask the very pointed questions. I had a friend once who I was like, oh, I have a question. And she's like, oh, excellent. I love when Elizabeth has questions. They're always really controversial. I was like, uh, I don't know how I feel about that, <laughs> but I cannot help it. I'm curious. And I just, I tend to dive in and ask the questions that are on my mind. So Zach, thank you for being here for that. And uh, we talked afterwards and he's like, I love that conversation. So I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I hope you guys really could feel of his sincere, I don't know, love of the art and of community and what it's taken him to get here, you know, years of teaching. And I would love to have seen him in the public school of what kind of teacher he was and what's helped him to, to become the Zach Foster that he is today. So thank you so much for being here. It's just such a pleasure to hear different perspectives of taking the leap, you know, taking the plunge to go all in on this creative entrepreneurial journey. So thank you so much, Zach. I'll be back next Friday with a brand new episode on the craft to career podcast. Until then have a wonderful week. And if you have just a moment, please go and leave a review for the craft to career podcast. It would mean the world. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.